I've never really socially fit in. I've always been just outside of like popular circles, which is um, had a massive influence on me as a teacher, but also like where I am now. And so when you're growing up in a household where the parents just, it's toxic and it wasn't a great framework um, for my relationships, regardless of the relationship that I have with my mum, my dad individually and my brother. Mm. Stressed, have a drink. Sad, have a drink. Happy, have a drink. Party, have a drink. We're like constantly surrounded by parties, you know, I can't really remember a time where there wasn't alcohol in my house. Like I told you, I've had the dream of the black market since I was 18. Mm. And the reason, part of the reason why I've picked it up and I've put it down over a lot of time over the years is really because of the ingrained kind of messages that I have. I used to joke with in fact I still do with um, one of my best friends Zoe we should have been dead at 15 trauma headlines are I was sexually assaulted by another child when I was 7 at school Um, it was a connection through the horror convention circuit that we got through to John met him in London showed him what we put together um, and he was like you're crazy kids you're crazy <laughs> but it's the 25th anniversary and like next year so this would be perfect like you can only do it with my let me help you i'll deal with the universal studios i believe everyone has a story to tell through seeking true authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey I'll provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Okay, welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. Today, I'm joined by an inspirational business owner that has produced award-winning films, dedicated her life to education, empowerment and equality, and making transformative and sustainable change in the arts education. She now wants to champion transformation in the arts industry to ensure future generations are afforded the equality of representation they deserve. I'm delighted to welcome the founder of The Black Market, Romy Alford, to the podcast. How are you? Oh, thank you. That's so <laughs> That's such a lovely introduction. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> it's all oh, true, isn't it? Thank You're you. amazing. It's been great to get to know you, obviously, over the last few months, and, and we've obviously met so I asked a couple of times and had a chat about some stuff and just honestly it's amazing what you what you're doing and it's really Thank inspiring. You. So and I'm great really excited about having this chat with you today and telling people about your journey and your story. So Aww. let's jump straight in, shall we? Okay, go on, go okay. for it. Right, so let's start your story. Tell tell me a little bit about life growing up, something about your early years that sort of shaped who you are today. Okay. Um well I'm a Croydon girl originally and um I guess it's been a theme in my life that it's a kind of game of two halves I've started to realize yeah. so um family background is you know working class East Croydon West Croydon yeah. um we tend to have if you're from Croydon you tend to have this thing of like it's a shithole but it's my shithole <laughs> and um I think my parents uh worked really hard to get us out of the kind of very central bits mm. so we I was born in East Croydon but um, moved to Purley 
when I was about 10, mm. which is just outside of like main Croydon area, if you don't know mm. it. Um, but essentially the motivating factor for that was um, the school that I went to was like one of the worst in the country. It was oh. literally around the corner from the house and that's the only reason why I went there. Um, but both me and my brother had a really rough time at that school. Um, and so my parents moved us out when I was about eight or nine, something like that. And my brother was, he's about four years younger than me. Mm. Um, so I ended up going to a private school in Croydon, which obviously was a completely different experience. Mm. Um, and I went from not having teachers, um, you know, be supportive to very, very like high standards of education and um, that kind of leap. Mm. You know, I was doing Saturday school. I was to get do entrance tests and um, my parents have always been very like champion of education. Like my mum used to read to us a lot when we were kids. Um, I could read fluently by the age of four. Um, so it, it's, it was just a completely different world. And it was, a, it was, did you a really enjoy that? That obviously the move to the private school, you enjoy that, that period of education. The, the challenge, um, the educational challenge was great. I think I've never really socially fit in. I've always been just outside of like popular circles, which is, um, had a massive influence on me as a teacher but also like where I am now mm. um I was never one of the the it girls um <laughs> I was always very very sporty very into like performing arts so when I got into the um I only went there for a couple of years uh but they did like whole school plays and they had wonderful wonderful teachers there was a um, a couple, and when I went, they must have, I don't know, in their 60s, something like that, mm. the Palmers. And the husband would write and compose these musicals, um, and Mrs. Palmer would be the drama teacher, and she would mm. choreograph everything. So there was this real kind of connection with the arts and family. Yeah. Um, Is that where you like that initial spark? sort of come from for you do you think in for the arts and stuff yeah I think looking back on it now um there's a when you're when you're working with so many people under like extreme pressurized conditions you form bonds that I I can't really describe other than it is like an extended it is like a family you're all there for the same purpose mm. you yes there's you know competition with who's going to get main parts and you know there's you can get all that bitchiness and that kind of stuff but generally when you've got the right director you've you've got people who are working towards um a, a greater purpose and it's that buzz um when you're doing rehearsals and like backstage and when you're about to go on and you know, when you get a really supportive cast yeah because it is vulnerable mm. you are very vulnerable the same mm. as like it being in a family right mm. and you're presenting yourself to a whole load of strangers um plus you know singing dancing acting creating character mm. um but when you know that you've got as people behind you who've got your back that makes a huge difference and probably only now I'm starting to really realize that because my own family situation wasn't that way and 
for many reasons uh, was a source of a lot of conflict um, that connection that, that parallel you know when when it was getting re- when it was really bad I was getting into the arts and I was creating these little families because every cast is different mm-hmm. every play is different every musical is different every character um, that you can escape into uh, you can have a different connection with and you know I've always been reading like lots of fantasy lots of science fiction you know these kind of role model characters Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. strong women um, Roald Dahl, like at the time, you know, mm. being a child, um, all these kind of worlds where it's like young people were empowered, and I guess that has a lot of parallel to how I didn't feel at the time. Um, so I did a lot of escaping, like just sitting in my room reading books for like days on end, which was amazing. But because you say because your family life then at that stage, that young age wasn't great you said it's always been a source of conflict um and you know i love my parents don't get me wrong they've done a lot of amazing things for me Mm -hmm. um it was the kind of being an adult though they they were in a relationship that they probably should have left when they were younger Mm -hmm. and so when you're growing up in a household where the parents just it's toxic and it wasn't a great framework um for my relationships regardless of the relationship that i have with my mum my dad individually and my brother Mm. um i can very much see that now doing some work on it the um generational trauma that's been passed down and a lot of that has to do with coming from a place like Croydon and Mm. similarly my mum grew up in well born in Germany Hong Kong you know had a stepfather who was in the army um so moved around a lot you know she's got Mm. her own stuff but then ended up in Gillingham Medway Towns Mm. so very similar in terms of background you know there's Mm. a lot of violence in my dad's history split families all kinds of yeah i have to draw a family tree to explain it to new people (laughs) that's that's how you know so i I can see my parents motivation for wanting to stay together because they both come from families that have been split split cut again split split um so I, i don't say that with any criticism they also, but I recognise that that was the the groundwork for our family and what me and my brother were brought into, mm-hmm. and also their generations didn't discuss things like mental health. They didn't discuss things like trauma, mm-hmm. and so you've got a bunch of traumatised children who were born in the sixties and seventies whose parents were children of war, and the whole attitude was like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Just get on with Just it. Just get yeah, on yeah. with it. Or in my family's case, it was stressed, have a drink, sad, have a drink, happy, have a drink, party, have a drink. It was like constantly surrounded by parties. You know, I can't really remember a time where there wasn't alcohol in my house. Um, and what's, your, what's your relationship with alcohol or as you've grown up? Not good. Really? No, I I wouldn't say uh, by any stretch of the imagination like alcoholic, mm. but I would say that definitely 
I started drinking like Bacardi breezes <laughs> and Smirnoff <laughs> ice when I was about 12. Um, and a lot of it was distraction and ways of coping. So mm. we didn't, our family way of dealing with emotion was explosive. And it was, you know, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then explode. And then it's, you know, drama, screaming, fighting, all alcohol fueled. Mm. Um, and then either pretending like nothing had happened or it's all all right again. But it was, as someone, I have two children of my own now, mm. four-year-old, um, about to be five, and two about to be three, um, and having them and having gone through my own recent um, divorce and final conclusion of a, a child custody case, which is such a relief, <laughs> um, that I represented myself in, it's made me, it was, made me confront a lot of um, patterns of behaviour mm. And that I'm noticing a lot more now as an adult and especially interacting with my parents as an adult mm -hmm. that I don't want to pass on to my own children um, and be this sort of phrase that keeps being thrown around at the moment is like a conscious parent, like a, mm -hmm. you know, conscious parenting. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I come at that with no, it's not me sitting here going, oh, my parents are so awful, but yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that no, at no. all. Um, I actually wish for them that they would have the opportunity to actually sit down and deal with the stuff that they've all been through. It's just that wasn't the way they were trained, right? And he said, he said like you said, there's more education out there. There's more ways to learn about ourselves and stuff now with you know online or whatever that looks like, or just actually being more open to be able to talk about stuff on platforms like this for example or or actually just with circles of friends that actually you can sit there and talk a little bit more openly as you are um whereas like you said that's just learned behavior they didn't know that back then and they that, and it's got to take people to break a mold i guess like like what you are like you said you, you're a parent now knowing that actually how our potentially was parented is not how i want to be as a parent i'm assuming i'm getting from what you're saying yeah, and it has so much influence and it's um, the reason why I'm linking to it is because it's had so much influence on me as a business owner mm. and my attitude towards business. And whereas, you know, like I told you, I've had the dream of the black market since I was 18. Mm. And the reason, part of the reason why I'd, I've picked it up and I've put it down over a lot of time over the years is really because of the ingrained kind of messages that I have about money, finance, risk, business, employment, mm. which all comes from my parents' generational trauma mm. about security and, you know, yeah, fine, I understand, don't go and blow 100K on, you know, opening a bar and mm. all this kind of stuff. I, I get that. There's calculated risk, but um, there's also this fear that's been built into me over the years about you before above anything else you know pay the bills mm. have a have a steady job da, da, da. and so that that kind of um 
stomach dropping fear of like, oh my, I can't possibly, can't possibly ask for a business loan or I couldn't possibly, if I don't have this, this and this, or I have to work full time or I have to do that, which has led me to also stay in education for so long, Mm -hmm. which has been um, creatively very frustrating and um, it's only literally since I had probably the third professional burnout that I've had in my entire career that I went back to back market and I was like I'm not going to live my life like this anymore I can't live my life like this anymore and it's at a time where I've got two children I'm a single mum I'm responsible (laughs) I'm more responsible than I was at 18. <laughs> I was like the poorest I've ever been in my life. But, you know, the I'm less fearful. But and it's, so it's in- such a weird dichotomy. It really is. Because like, so many people come on and talk about their entrepreneurial journeys and starting a business and when's the right time to start a business similar to when's the right time to start a There isn't actually ever a right time, is there? And I think that's listening to what you're saying exactly the position you're in right now like you've gone through a period with something that you've dreamed of doing for such a long period of time and actually you now potentially could be the worst time as a single mum and but when is going to be the right time unless you take that leap and do it and like you said I think there's so much that that's been ingrained in society for for our parents generation and and more so that is exactly that like less risk like you've got to get a job pay your mortgage that that that's society's expectations of what um what it should be i spoke to lindsay clay from connected brighton the other day and we was talking about like her blueprint of what life should be people's expectations and what that should be like and you know, 2.4 children and you're married and your house and etc and actually if you break the mold and do something slightly different that actually that's if you're happy then that's what ultimately what we're striving for and to take risk and because we only get one life don't we We only get one chance it so we've got to live the best life we can and it's amazing to listen to you going through that journey i guess getting to a point where you actually gone right whatever the time is now this is i'm just going to make this and go and make this happen i think i made that conscious decision because um what I think what's happened is, and what happens just, ter- I think it happens anyway. Mm. When you're young, you have like this core thing of like what makes you happy. Mm. And then you have layers of parental stuff, friends, peer pressure. Mm. Um, I saw something on, I, I'm like, I was the most anti-Instagrammable person on the planet for years. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing Instagram, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was ahead of media and film, so it's ironic, but I I like old school stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just where my heart lies, which yeah, is where, yeah. you know, the burlesque and the vintage and the 40s and all that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, I accept that you can do amazing things with modern technology. Yeah. So, again, it's it's always, for me, it's dichotomy. It's always the word that comes into my head when I think about my life. Mm. Um, I'm very extreme, like black and white sort of things. So... Um, yeah, the the things that make you happy and then you get these layers of trauma, um, influence, you know, puberty, fitting in. You know, I'm a kid of the 90s, mm. so 
especially for me as a woman, like defining what femininity meant to me, you know, my mum's thing and generation was always like, oh, if you have children past 25, then you're on the shelf, you're, it's old. And then, so I had all this drive and fit, and you know, my friends and I all had this thing, like we want to be young mums, um, you know, I don't want to be, oh, 27? Like, that's way too old to be having kids. And that, also that driver of, um, especially around, like, relationships, you know, we were, we were just, I used to joke with, in fact, I still do, with um, one of my best friends, Zoe, we should have been dead at 15, because the amount of times that we would go out clubbing, she grew up in Bromley, I grew up in Croydon, um, you know, literally wearing nothing mm-hmm. and completely over-sexualized for our age, you know, which adds a whole other layer to things mm-hmm. going. There was a club called the Blue Orchid, which was opposite um, Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Um, and we used to, it used to be called the Blue School Kid because you knew that it was full of under 18s and all you had to do on a Saturday night is go with a push-up bra and a low top and a little skirt and the bouncers would just let you in. So I was, you know, sneaking out of the house or lying to my parents at age 15, saying that I was, we'd all coordinate it. You know, you hear about it, but it actually did happen. We'd all coordinate (laughs) it. I had a friend who lived in Kenley, uh, which is near Purley, but it's it's like hills, hills and hills and hills and hills. And there was one night where we went to the Blue Orchid. We came, got out at 3 a.m. or whatever it was. Uh, It was at the time when you could smoke in clubs still. Yeah. So my clothes reeked of smoke, you know, snog some boy on the dance floor or whatever I'd done. And we didn't have enough money to get a taxi back to her house. And we were all in like high heel platform boots. And we literally, the days of cash. So we're li- sitting there with like, I've got 10p, you've got five. <laughs> How much have we got? You know, to, and the, the taxi driver threw us out at the bottom of one hill. And we had to walk. I just remember walking up and down these hills to get back to this girl's house. And then I didn't have my bus money for the next day, so I had to walk back (laughs) and then try and put my clothes in the washing machine, which I didn't know how to use because my mum had never taught me. So she was like, why do your clothes smell of smoke? But anyway, you know, I used to do things um, like walking back from Croydon, you know, at 2am and getting lifts from lorry drivers, you know, at the back, Mm. at the petrol station and, and a lot of that was a will um to my mum used to call it risk taking behavior but really when i think about it it's it was f- just to be noticed or recognized i think because my the family situation has been so all consuming mm. for my parents for so many years that they would just get pissed to check out from that so it's not until being a sober adult that you recognize that your entire parenting journey has been with people who are drunk or hungover and having been in that situation myself um you the things that you take on as a child the messages that you take on a child that you think are real that you think are oh they're saying this to me because they're my primary person in my life and mm. my caregiver and whatever phrase you want to use and if they're saying it it must be true it's not coming from a place of clear thinking mm. it's coming from a place of oh 
I'm either off my head and the alcohol releases whatever trauma I've got in me, so I'm just projecting onto you, or I'm hungover, so I don't want to deal with you. So then you become, you feel like you're a burden, and therefore, like my, when you asked me about my relationship with alcohol, you know, when I was 15, I was drinking litre bottles of vodka at school parties and stuff. You know, we had these trousers, um, which, because I was like a rocky, grungy, um, kind of, that was my my thing. And I I really connected to, you know, like Linkin Park, Eminem, all Mm. of those bands and stuff who, you know, very like tortured souls and, you know, that depression, you know, depression kind of thing, Mm. but releasing it through arts. Um, So... You know, I used to have like I think it was six pockets uh, with the big tassels. I don't know if you remember yeah, those, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I would put like um, it became a joke, but it really wasn't actually. When you look at it, like bottles in there, so I'd be walking around a party clinking, and if people would be like, "Oh, I need a drink," I'd be like, Look, "Here you go," you know. Wow. But that was my um, alcohol didn't judge, and I could mm. be different. You know, it gave me confidence in a way or it made me so aggressive that I didn't really care um, you know I used to try to start fights with people in fact I did mm. um, went through a period of being a teenager of just being so angry and willful to not be on the planet anymore that I would just put myself in situations where someone could just like take me out of it and so, what period like how, do, do you can you st- pinpoint or do you remember a time then because you're talking from sort of 15 to how how long did that period last for until you because you obviously at a point broke the mould of that and decided to to change was that just coming out uh, like 16, 17, 18 or when how long was that period for I don't think I came out of it until I was 25 really so I mean the 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 kind of trauma headlines are I was sexually assaulted by another child when I was seven at school but I that was never investigated it was never I never got any therapy for it I it was all kind of like hushed under the carpet I don't think my parents knew how to deal with it so I lived with that for a really long time and then obviously when you're a teenager 14 15 16 you know I wanted relationships with boys but I was so I didn't know why I was affected but I was affected Mm -hmm. and then that came with a whole load of like shame and criticism and so there was this whole cycle on top of the messages that I was getting from um, my own mum that you know there's something wrong with me I'm undesirable I'm you know I have battled with anorexia my whole life came out of that maybe two years ago um, actually thanks to a, a local um, health club funny enough but um, yeah so all, all of that and then tied into this angry female you know a lot of I was very political at the time like um, I, I was in an all girls school as well that didn't help you know mm-hmm. I had a group of friends but I've never really had 
I mean, it was a bit high school musically, but my my kind of connection, my my group were like the drama girls, yeah. um, and very much was into film. You know, Tarantino, um, Scorsese, all of the kind of. St- in fact, probably connected to stories about relationships and things like that, aside mm. from the kind of fantasy stuff. Um, and so that age, I was also in the Air Cadets. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, again, it's dichotomy, right? Yeah, yeah so you've got this, yeah, yeah, you've got this, uh, don't fuck with me, I'm like Croydon girl, da 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 da, oh, but I'm in a place of like authority. This is what I mean. So there's this constant like struggle. Because because you're because although you want to challenge and not fit into anything, there's a part of you that does want to fit in. Yeah, somewhere. absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, like we all crave connection, I guess, and we all want to have have that form of connection, be ourselves, but have that form of connection. So it's such a it's so strange, like to hear you talk like that, like challenging so many things and going against the grain and doing all them different and then actually now I want to fit in here and and have that, have that that situation yeah I think I was looking for a place to feel like I fit in because yeah. I didn't fit in in my own house yeah. and that's that's really the theme that has run through a lot of my, that that period of um career choices and you know like I said when I was um I got into the bar industry um my best friend James who lives in France's husband now but you know we instantly connected like Mm. we worked the bar trade for a really long time and that was a whole you know it fitted me because it was out of hours I didn't have to be at home all the time I missed sort of like everyone it was a drinking culture. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and our, our family parties and stuff have always been, like, well-known for, like, great food, great music, um, lots of alcohol, cocktails, all this kind of stuff, which is great when mm. you're coming and having a good time, but, you know, it's not an everyday, so there was... Uh, there was never any really, like, health... I would say healthy time or space yeah. to discuss or explore or say you know I feel this way and if I ever try I mean I referred myself to therapy when I was 15 16 I went to a counseling service and I said I think I've got a problem with like relationship issues and I think <laughs> they're like you're 15 what are you doing here? <laughs> go away we can't help you I, you know so I tried wow I reckon you know I'm very like self-aware and um that's come for a lot of like self motivated seeking of support um because trying to talk to my parents about it it just got a completely defensive reaction and so i you know friends i had in lots of different places and i've always kind of been i don't know about social butterfly but you know never really that one because you're craving that is it i'm just trying to is it, is it because you're craving that connection from someone or something because you, the, I guess the, the people that you rely on to have that connection with are your parents, I guess, growing up as a kid and you never, and you didn't have that, you didn't feel that you could go to them with whether they're a bit 
whether they're issues or they're things on your mind and problems that you've got, you, they're the people that you want to go to and ask for help. And they wasn't there for for that. It, yeah, and I think in in different ways. So you know, my dad has always been s- extremely supportive of me, but that mm. created a conflict with my mum. Mm. Um, and so at that that period, from what I remember, because most of it I spent in the bars in the clubs, drinking, doing my own thing, mm. escape like escaping. Um, I, I think I ended up not doing that because it just created too much aggro mm. so i i cut myself i can see that i cut myself off as well from my parents because yeah. it, it was just too painful and so we had quite a long period of being around each other and being together but not really connecting and you know i was trying to seek that connection which probably led me to get into this relationship with my first boyfriend mm. who listened and I think that was the main thing um probably because he had nothing else to do (laughs) but um I you know again it was like a really silly toxic relationship but that was that was the one that I um did the documentary so he was a horror a big horror fan Um, I still remember his bedroom actually it was just full of horror characters <laughs> oh my god you wake up in the middle of the night and there's like the saw doll at the end of the bed. I should have like wow. run, I should have run then. but it fit my whole kind of like yeah. alternative and you know weird misunderstood yeah. kind of thing um, anyway so he, he really uh, liked American Wealth in London which was directed by John Landis, um, who did Michael Jackson's Thriller and Blues Brothers and, you know, very well-known Hollywood director. So he said he wanted to make this making-of documentary. And um, I was like, okay, well, you write it and I'll produce it. And we also, like, I love The Lost Boys as well. Um, And he was writing for a magazine and that kind of thing. So... Uh, he put down some stuff about what he wanted to do and I was like okay let me call up the actors and the actresses and see if they'll talk to us and I literally just started reading this is at 18 right Mm. yeah Um, and we got uh, interviews with oh my god um, the doctor I think from American Werewolf and um, Jenny Agata she agreed to be interviewed before we'd even mm. met John because they love him so much. Mm. So they're like, yeah, of course, we'd love to talk about American Wealth. Da, da, da. So, yeah, that's that's how it all started. And then we went to, um, I found all the filming locations and went and did to camera pieces. And um, it was a connection through the horror convention circuit that we got through to John, met him in London, showed him what we put together Um and he was like, you're crazy, kids. You're crazy. <laughs> but it's the 25th anniversary and, like, next year. So this would be perfect. Like, you can wow. only do it with my... Let me help you. I'll deal with the Universal Studios. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. He was like, I need the final sign. Yeah, cool. No problem. And then it just kind of went from there. So. That is, that, that, uh, we need to touch on that a little bit. Because yeah. like, come it, like, listening to all of what you've just talked about and your upbringing and background and what you're the place you are personally mm-hmm. to, to 18 be able to go 
I'm gonna cr- I'm gonna produce this movie. This, but we're gonna get to Universal Studios. It's like, what? How, how does how does that how happen? How does that happen? How does that might <laughs> like we even like because if if you I guess we've painted a bit of a picture of what of the type of person you were at that young age and what you've been through and the trauma and everything that you're, you, you've described and that really openly shared with us. And yet you've gone from that to you're in that position and yet you've created that. You've got the confidence. You, you talked about lack of confidence and stuff, but you've got the confidence to be able to go, I'm going to produce and I'm going to do. And you did do that and delivered it. How did that happen? How did that? I think a lot of it is to do with, so my school, um, I went to Wallington Girls, mm. which is a uh, grammar school. Mm. And um, Sutton's known for having like the best grammar schools in the country. Mm. So um, they were really integral in, yes, I mean, there's the kind of like usual school stuff, but, you know, it was a culture of really high expectation, but also, um, especially in terms of like women, so they're, uh, motto was heirs of the past, makers of the future, and that was drummed into us like every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also through a lot of research that I've been doing, like the last couple of weeks or so, um, there's this: if you've had emotional kind of absence from parents, you really have like overachieving high expectations. Mm-hmm and to get that recognition. So this is a kind of theme that's been coming up for me. It's it's like, I can't stop. I can't just, like I used to, you know, make bags out of jeans and, you know, like create, you know, artsy, craftsy things. It's, it's got to be extra. It's always got to be extra. And I think some of that is also proving to myself that I'm worthy of like being alive but also that culture of um probably parental recognition um you're seeking their approval yeah which is frustrating which is frustrating and and ridiculous but um it's i think it used to be like that at the time it was probably like that it's not so much now Mm. because it takes away your currency and your autonomy and your self um acknowledgement of yourself and and you know i'm doing this for me but back then i was surrounded by such a high achieving culture and every day it was like we get the best results in the country and we're this and we've had this alumni and this and that and this and so you i naturally having come from a family like that mm. stepped into that culture um and i had very i did um english media and drama um and my drama teacher i actually saw last week funny enough um so she's known me since i was 11 mm. uh, and she's just been so supportive again in that kind of like suedo mother role mm. um and I had another teacher called Miss Alvarez who was my media and English teacher and she was more of like a big sister kind of role model. Mm. Um, And they were always, you know, so supportive of me and um, yeah, I I just, I took a gap year 
So I did my A-levels um, and I got stage fright when I was 17, mainly because I'd always been on stage. Yeah. Um, and I went into directing. Um, and apparently I still hold the school record for like the top marks in that particular directing mm. thing. So I did like a version of Antigone. Wow. Um, and I really loved it, but it allowed me to kind of, you know, take control. And again, it's it's that creating the, the air cadets and the, mm. the thing about, you know, being so out of control. It's like just when you feel so out of control, you look for structures and systems that help you feel in control. Yeah, sure, sure. But actually it has the opposite effect. Um, so, but I hadn't, I didn't have any other kind of framework. So I was just very attracted to controlling authoritative structures mm. controlling authoritative men controlling authoritative people mm. uh, because I felt so out of control in, in everything else mm. and so when I did um, when I had the gap year I mean that was a huge issue with my family mm. um, I think I was like one of the first in my dad's family to go to university I had interviews at Central St Martins um, at RADA um, you name it for drama I, pr I probably had a, an interview there but I was so angry um, uh, at that time I think I remember sitting in the Central St Martins interview and I th um, they said why, why do you want to come and do this directing course that no one gets interviews for I was like I, th I think I said because my dad wants me to go to uni wow. and they were like Right. <laughs> Didn't get an offer. <laughs> but it was that it was, you know, that self sabotage. Well it wasn't even self sabotage, it was it was resistance. I didn't wanna But get get going again back to the I guess the production of the of that movie and then, and then having that opportunity was was that before or that after, after after that's yeah, after the so, so you've you produced this amazing like, no that was oh so the, produ I, the production I, was after the, I, it was in my, in my gap year right, 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 that right, I did okay. that right, 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 so right. I'd left school and then you've gone to I'd, the to two things up to uni because I didn't want to be in education anymore um, I wanted to do my own thing I was going to go to Los Angeles and go to drama school or film school and my nana was like you'll die in Los Angeles <laughs> don't go to Los Angeles <laughs> Um, and I, send, I ended up working for a, an employment tribunal, actually, in West Croydon, which was really good. Yeah. And I loved it, actually, um, mm -hmm. because it was about people and mm -hmm. fighting injustice and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And I met my ex-boyfriend um, and we started it in 2000 and six something like that 2007 mm. yeah and it took a couple of years wow. uh, but I went to uni after um, I did a gap year and then went to uni uh, I went to did film and TV because at that point I was like well you know I've always wanted to do I would love to do it you know yeah. I love filmmaking I love um, because media was still that was you still at that time do you think searching for that escapism and that's what film and the arts gave you yeah um and being on on set I, th I think it's that theme of recognition mm. um and i think i've always 
sought recognition for ability um, and it wasn't enough there's always a fear it was always a feeling of it not being enough didn't matter mm. that I smashed my A-levels it wasn't enough I had to go to uni didn't matter that I wasn't enough for, for you or your parents or wh- 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 who who do you mean well I've put it into me but I think at the time it was definitely rec- parental recognition um, it was the werewolf thing was an amazing experience um, and it actually you know if I didn't have it considering what I'm doing now and at the moment and the, oppor- and the opportunity that I I might have in the next couple of weeks if I hadn't done werewolf I wouldn't be where I am now and it mm. but it's I, I sacrificed a lot for that documentary mm. I sacrificed a lot and my partner um, ex-partner tried to kick me out of it right at the end and I did all the work mm. right and I don't say that from a I did all the work yeah, kind yeah. of point of view as in like I literally if I wasn't there to produce it he would still be sitting in his well in fact I think he is still sitting in his bedroom <laughs> from what I hear <laughs> but um, you know I made it happen and that's another that's another thing that people keep saying to me is that I make things happen mm. and transforms this idea of transformation but it's it's always been transformation of other people. Mm. So, you know, I transformed his life from sitting in his bedroom being a DJ to mingling with people who've been in Hollywood for 30 plus years. But left on his own, he crashed and burned those relationships mm. because I wasn't there. And it's the same with education. So I've been transforming other people's departments. I've been transforming other people's lives. I've been supporting, you know, thousands of kids, teenagers, you know, to go and do their dreams. And from what I'm starting to realise now, that comes from that selfless, well, selfless, um, that self-sacrificing thing Mm. comes from a place of childhood open wounds yeah. aside from that I, I did enjoy doing it but it, it got to a point where um, I think I said to you the other day like being a teacher is like being a pseudo parent and you find a lot of traumatised people in education mm. um, because again it's having a department having a bunch of courses having a, a classroom mm. it's all very this is my family school houses the school crest you're part of a family with your uniform this is our little fat it's all crazy and i no one talks about that stuff um and you get people you know who've if you look at like familial roles you've got the people who've been there for years Mm. the kind of grandparents of the school you go into a staff room and it's like don't sit there that's that person's space Mm. 
people are pigeonholed. You've got the crazy uncle or the crazy aunt who is in the, you know, whatever department. It's, yeah, you can get sucked into it. And I did for a very long time, especially if you're seeking a way to create a family, and especially when you have issues around children Mm. or, you know, so I was... 25 when I left home for the last time and I moved back to the north and that I had to because it was just so bad with my mum um and I was I left with a lot of anger and I was getting to that point where I was like being called into classes because I could silence them with like one line and I was I mean, I, I joke about it now, but I have levels of anger, which is Croydon level one, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like, you know, I was tapping into level three almost every single day, and it's it's not a place I want to be in. And mm. it's also, you know, it's not good for kids to see either. Mm. Um, and it was just this constant cycle of, over drinking, overeating, not looking after myself, not sleeping properly, anger, high, low, high, low, high, low. I was living at home. It was, it was just so. When much. you was at home at that point, were you, were your parents still together? Yeah. Are they still together? There? No, no. no. But so I was twenty. When I was twenty-five, I had this kind of sixth sense that you know I needed to get out. Mm. So I bought a house in um, Southport, which is just above Liverpool. Mm got a job left and then I was already having conversations with my dad and you know I was always really supportive of him going you're miserable get out Mm -hmm. you need to get out now um you know and it got to a point where I was like I can't I can't talk to you about this anymore Mm -hmm. you're gonna do it or you're not and I'll support you but I'm not your therapist Mm -hmm. like I can't you know and that's I've always been um in a position of responsibility from a very, very young age as well. Yeah. Um, and this is something like with my own children, it's like my children are not there to hear about my trauma. They're not there for me to project my trauma onto mm. them. They're not my conf- confidants. They're not my therapists. Mm. You, you've got people for that. Yeah. It, it's, it's not but relevant. That's, that's, that's amazing. Again, back to you, I guess, like I say, breaking that cycle. You, there's... Got, there's because, like you said, it's so much of our upbringing is learned behaviour, and we can carry on in that path. And you could have replicated so much of what your parents did with your children now, and yet you're going, oh, absolutely not. You've gone the other way, and go, oh, I'm, that's, they're not going to have the upbringing that I had. I'm going to change that. I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, Plus X. I've been a member for over two years now. And the podcast studio here is the home to the County Business Talks podcast. Brighton is the perfect location to create, build and grow a business with role models and inspiration at every turn. It's no wonder that this has become a hotbed of innovation and entrepreneurialism. So if you're building your future here on the South Coast, there's no better place than Plus X Brighton. Seven stories of cutting edge space expertly designed to support all kinds of business from newly started freelancers to large established corporates. With flexible, dynamic environment, ranging from co-working desks to private studios, their specialist facilities include a state-of-the-art prototyping workshop and media suites. 
They also maintain a community-focused event schedule and offer all kinds of business support programs. Built for anyone who wants to make a change, PlusX has everything you need. Find out more at www.plusx.space. Okay, back to the episode. Do you, do you think some of that as well has come from the, again, you talk about the education side and uh, like she was in education for, what, 10 years or so, wasn't you? Yeah. So in that period, because that's the type, like you said, there was that craving for that family unit and you felt by being a teacher, almost a mother to them children, is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, there are different... um, Oh, God, every family's different. Mm. And unfortunately, in education, there's a lot of toxic family culture. Mm. And um, aside from having to see 150 kids in one day, (laughs) all with different needs, all with different moods and if you if you want to talk about you know treading on eggshells and being in constant emotional pressure to act a certain way Mm. go and teach because you're if if you've come from also that kind of background where you're used to um changing yourself to please your parents well you can go and do it 150 times over if you like every single day and then you're responsible for their education and their results and then it's your fault if they don't do that Mm. and so it's the perfect place for someone who's got that kind of family trauma background to just self-flagellate and beat themselves up every single day and then get that um recognition at the end if you survive it so it's a it's a gauntlet of emotional roller coaster mm. aside from marking this that bloody blah 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 paperwork mm. um the teaching toxicity i've really found is like your relationship with the kids and the, the teachers who get the rewarded the most are the ones who give up all of their time to be there for those students and it's like oh mrs you know she's there until six o'clock at night and she's given and i i did that Mm. but you give you give too much of yourself and it's not it's a job yeah that's what it is but we have this societal view of it um it's not a job of it's a vocation which i really hate Mm. because it means that it's based on self-sacrifice and that's that's not what it's about and you're you find in a lot of school cultures um you have to play the game mm. and if you want to get anywhere especially with like senior management so i don't say this from a point of bitterness i say it from a point of wanting it to change mm. um like going for assistant head roles in my last school um it wasn't the head it it was the leadership below it they're all mates they all were godfathers to each other's children they all had yeah. barbecues around each other's houses and blah, blah, blah. and that's fine if you can keep it out of the workplace but it's impossible yeah. it, it is impossible yeah. and so you know if you wanted to take it you're always taught oh it's the best person for the job mm. and if you've got the best results if you've got the best this da, da, da. well i had the best results in the country for three years running wow i got full marks on my 
senior leadership qualification and accommodation from the board. Ofsted Outstanding for 10 years. Head of department, 11 courses. Form tutor, blah, 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 blah. So, like, on paper, you know, you would think that you get yeah, a fair yeah. shot at it but the response that I got when I didn't get one of them was oh it was the other person's turn <sighs> and that's all based on family that's all you're, you're bringing family structures into a workplace mm. but that's not just that school that's been every single school that I've been in and I've been in a lot and this constant theme that I've had of hopping around like it's, I think every two years I think I've switched school this is the last school that I've been in for four years but only because two of those were enduring a pandemic and I couldn't go anywhere <laughs> yeah. um but I finally had burnout you know I've had burnout before but I finally had burnout there you know because I've been bullied at school I've been involved with like unions I've had to stand up for myself and you know this kind of thing so that all all of that experience and those kind of themes of feeling disempowered mm -hmm. feeling like i'm not equal um and not getting education that's actually gonna help me in the future in terms of like being a functioning human being mm. and healthy human being are all of the things that have led me to black market mm. um and i decided also that you know i wanted to finally create this group of people this community mm -hmm. that agree with the same things and i think it's also really difficult to recognize and say i may be tied to you by blood but we don't align ideologically mm. and keeping you're in my space and i understand that but i don't have to i don't have to connect with you mm. on that level because we don't we don't and I, I think having this pressure and um persistent societal message that you have to keep toxic family members in your life just mm. because you're related to them by blood has caused a lot of unnecessary trauma and issues mm. and I'm not saying that I want to cut my family off or anything like that what I do I'm starting to realise is is seeing them as adults and removing that. Well, because you're my ex, you mm. should act like that. Well, there is, that doesn't exist. Man. That doesn't exist. You're a you're a human being made up of your own bits and pieces. And you know, at this point in time, it's okay to say, actually, I, I can't have you in my space because I'm going through this journey. And you're going through that journey. And if you've spoke to your pet, what what is their response? A couple of things with them. What what is their response to you talking to them like that? If you do, and what is what is their also their response to you coming out of education and starting the black market? Um, I mean, I haven't had that conversation because it's just too difficult to have. Yeah. I say all this. Yeah. I, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm perfect representation of healthy no, human no, no. being you know i i lose it you know i i try not to but you know last um boxing day i was smashing plates in my front garden 
because mm. I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I recognise that about myself, mm. and I think I'm able to say, yeah, I completely recognise that there wasn't a healthy way of of, of dealing with that mm. um, particular trigger. Or I mean, in my parents' generation, there wasn't even a word for trigger. Yeah. Yeah. There was no recognition of trauma mm. or being triggered or anything like that. I mean, sometimes you can overuse it, mm. but I'm trying to strike a balance between saying, actually, I recognize that the way I feel at the moment is because my energy, my body's telling me to check to check out and to mm. stop doing this. And, you know, um, it's only very, very recently that I can say, right, especially with like a relationship with alcohol this is a healthy couple of glasses of wine have a laugh have a zoom have a, you know i had a wine zoom this week with yeah. james in france we were dancing around the kitchen to lady gaga nice <laughs> yeah exactly couple of glasses of wine yeah. no problem sitting there and drinking on my own three bottles of wine because i feel depressed com- obviously completely different yeah, yeah, so sure. i think it's the ability to recognize what you're doing and why you're doing it and actually having the strength to say, I'm not going to engage in this particular activity because I know that it's actually not helping, it's exacerbating. Mm. Um, I don't think I can have that conversation with my family yet. I don't think that they're ready. And I also don't think I'm ready because this is a very new part of my journey. Um, and I think they their responses to me leaving education has been fear based because they want me to be okay and because I've been through, you know been through the court case mm. and you know I'm a single mum I have a wonderful boyfriend but I'm a single mum you know and they've seen me go through a lot mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that they don't love me or they don't want the best of me or anything like that yeah. I think and what I hope has come across is that I recognise that we're all in different stages of our life and mental health journey yeah. I think that's probably what it is mm. um, and I feel like I'm because I've also had access to amazing support services mm. absolutely amazing I've been very lucky mm who've been and I've had time off and space you know even with all the other crap that's been going on um to explore these kind of things and actually have these kind of revelations and actually have this recognition Mm. and black market it wasn't until I did um a business course uh with um Lindsay Boyd who owns One Earth Global I was like, oh, my God, black market is helping me resolve my issues with my mum. <laughs> and I ran my best friend Zoe. I was like, oh, my God, this is catharsis. What's going on? I've created this business because I need to deal with my mum issues. And she was like, yep, welcome. Welcome to therapy. <laughs> welcome to wow. self-revelation. Um, because, it, you know, it is so much burlesque is um about celebrating your body as it is Mm -hmm. right and coming from a place of you know i've had two children um i've been a size 18 i've been a size six like it's it's taken a long time to be able to have a healthy relationship with that um 
side of myself so being able to empower myself to celebrate who I am at the moment mm. um, has been really life-changing but also confronted me with a lot of stuff about where those messages are come from mm. which is why I'm kind of on this examination I guess of of my family and my background and you know not coming at it from a position of you lot ruin my life and blah 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 that's not where I'm coming from yeah. it's actually being able to acknowledge it recognize it accept it and move on from it and, and that takes quite an, an element of self-awareness isn't it to, for yourself to, to still look at it that actually it's not a blame culture I'm not blaming I'm not blaming my parents for the person I am aware of I've got to all, all them things it's not anyone else's it's accountability ourselves there's, yeah. there's certain as much as you know they have influence had a, a traumatic impact on you for a, a young age and, and even in your sort of early 20s to actually then still come out of that and take some accountability and go but I'm still I've still got to make a choice here on what path I go same when you had kids when you have kids you go I've got to make a choice that I'm going to bring them up in this way and not that way. And it's not, I'm not going to replicate what I've seen or the learned behaviour I've had growing up, I guess. And that's the, that's quite, that's an inspiring thing in itself, isn't it? To, that we're all on that journey and we're, we've all got some trauma for, for whatever's happened in our lives and, and actually being able to just take a step back and look at that and analyse it and go. But what's really interesting is that you, you still go, I'm not ready to talk about that part of it with my parents yet because I'm still on this. This is still an early part of that journey for you, which is which is re I find really interesting. And I think that because I, 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 I want to move on to obviously black market and really want to delve into that. Like it's, a, it's an amazing concept. And listening to that, your like I said, we've really I guess sharing your story and your journey really painted a picture about how you've got to this stage and. And all of those things you've gone through, and I guess the I'm, I'm keen to talk about the empowerment piece and and stuff like that. And what I guess that's that the importance of that to you, I guess, and what you want to share with with other with other people and get them to get to that stage as well. Yeah, and that I, that's the the way it's all led to, right? Is choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the kind of central um, theme ethos of Black Market yeah. because it's your it's about, yes, okay, it's about um, putting on events and choice, but it's also giving voice and empowerment for people to make a different choice. Mm. And I've always had this, you know, dichotomy relationship with corporate independent authority, freedom, mm. um, and a lot of the change that I would like to see in the industry is for more people to have a different choice. Mm and represent people who aren't necessarily in the mainstream and to make it more open and equitable and fair for people to have that, for them to have a choice mm. and for clients to have a choice. Um, a lot of it has come from like my work in the employment tribunal, mm. having seen the unfair working practices that people have been going through mm. also my own unfair working practices through mm. school um and feeling like i didn't have a choice but to accept 
ridiculous working hours, mm. this level of pay, et cetera, et cetera. So all, all of that has literally been building to creating a platform where entertainers have choice. Mm. Um, and for me as well, having been on stage, you know, in the arts, all that kind of stuff, it is understood that um, people in the arts will work for free or for very little, that they don't have a choice about autonomy in terms of parts or people being typecast, aside from the whole underbelly of the industry where it's very much still predicated as seen by like the Me Too movement and all of the stuff that's mm. been coming out you know in terms of sexuality and what it takes to get to the top and who's got the power and who's not and you know the kind of things that you have to compromise about yourself mm. to be able to get to a position of national recognition mm. it, which is ridiculous yeah, yeah. and I guess really a lot of it has come from feeling like I compromised myself and my values and my what I want and what I need to be able to get to a position of senior management for example yeah. in education so very much completely informed the way that I run black market which is entertainer empowerment so um I for my hosting on the platform um I don't charge them any fees or anything like that they have beautiful photographs and footage that's either filmed by me um, my brother who's been doing my videography my boyfriend mm. Sasha who's been doing the photography um, or p things that they've already got so it's you know not slap you on a website and mm. here's some sort of faceless entertainer mm. and you know I'm not sitting here criticising other successful events companies yeah, because yeah. people make a living out of it and it's, it's like okay I'm just doing it differently mm. so for me it's when you're creating a bespoke event you're you're seeing the entertainer but also their journey so they have a bit of a profile on mm. the site as well about them what inspired them to do their art just whatever thing that they would like to share so it's like you're booking that person and it means more mm. than just oh i fancy some circus I'll, I'll click circus and whoever shows up is whoever shows up and it's mm. like hi goodbye see you later i didn't want that because i know how amazing it can be when you get a group of people to work together mm. which is informed like the shows for example when i did like september december mm. to me it was i'm looking for people who want to be part of that buzz who want to create something long-lasting and impactful mm. um and if you know entertainers want to just arrive do their thing and go that's also fine but it's the part of the community that i'm looking to create and the people that i'm attracting are people who have those same ideologies as me that's interesting talking about culture and what you're trying to create i'm, I'm keen to as well like within so what, what's your real dream for the, I guess, for the for the industry to change as a whole, I guess, is what you're the, the main thing. Is that what you want to come out of black market, that actually changes across the industry across, like, within arts, across the board? 
Yeah, I want to see entertainers have more power and be able to produce. Mm. So the thing that was always drummed into me as a teenager was if you want to be an actress, you're completely dependent on a producer deciding that you are the right fit for that thing at Mm. that time. And there's a handful, Mm. literally a handful of people who really control um, the large corporations, right? Mm. And to be able to have the opportunity money time and space to create something that is independently produced is incredibly hard Mm. and so entertainers are uh, i feel are forced into this position where they have to sacrifice whatever it is for themselves whether that's you know traveling mad distances or being part of a production that they don't really want to be part of Mm or you know having to dress a certain way or whatever just to get the gig mm. do you know what i mean yeah, it's, yeah. it's not you should be able to live from the work that you do comfortably and enjoy what you're doing without having to you know bend or break in a particular way just mm. because it's money coming in and just because someone's holding the cash and going well if you don't do this mm. I'll just find someone who will. And that kind of attitude is the thing that really angers me, especially in the arts. Because hasn't then, haven't you got to get buy-in from everyone on that avenue, like, to, to, to attract, like, so from the entertainer's point of view as well, like, because if, if a producer is saying, like, X, Y, and Z, and you've got to get, from, from the entertainment point of view, people go into those things, have got to, if everyone was on the same path and everyone said boy we're not putting up with it no way i'm not going to do that then that's when there's going to be a change but if then you get to some people that will go oh no no i do need to do that and i will go and do it that's gonna that will cause then a challenge it must be like it's a massive vision and 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 an inspiring one but that it's a difficult challenge no Absolutely, and it, 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 well, it comes from empowerment, education, and equality, yeah. and and starting it from a a space where um, I think big cha- grassroots revolution, and this is what my my media department was. It's called Revolution Media hmm. because I was like, after being in Hollywood, I could clearly see that there are those handful of people who control things, and yeah. I didn't like it, and I was told by. You know, granted, I was a girl from Croydon and completely like, who are you? And no one knows you. But Mm. even that in and of itself, I really is just shouldn't be a narrative, Mm. right? That should be out there because it is based completely on inequality. Mm. Um, You know, I was told you'll accept these terms because who are you? Literally, who are you? And that to me, I've always carried that. And what I've always taught my students is go out and question everything infiltrate Mm. you go and get into those big companies and you start making change so i've had students go off to work for channel 4 disney sky you know kids from south london London. uh, south london all right bruv you know (laughs) who you know from backgrounds that you would never think would be working for those kind of companies but um I'm hoping that part of how I supported them on their journey was for them to go, actually, I do matter. I am present. Mm -hmm. I am visible. I am 
worth all of the things. And I think as someone who's been so drawn to industries, film, media, arts, all the glamour, all the, you know, in front of people, public, da 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 da, and then feeling like that was always going to be an impossibility. Um, doing, getting the American Wealth thing made it feel like everything was a possibility because um, it just flipped everything on its head. But that all came down to John Landis, to be fair. Because if he hadn't have picked us up, if he hadn't have supported us, mm. and there are so there are people in those industries who aren't just out to mm. make money or you know abuse mm. the system or whatever, they are there, and that gives me hope. That and that's there it. Are and, people. And, the, and the more that you because you're right, like you look at that again back to that, that narrative and that story at 18. What, what you'd created something, but yeah, what guy? I guess gets you in a position to be in that. In get to Hollywood, how do you even begin to believe that that can happen? And like you say, you speak to someone like John Landis, and you get their buy-in, and because that actually that lends itself to the fact of a couple of things I take out of that mainly. One, if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the, the confidence just to ask what, what can that, what can he have? He could have only said no, and it wouldn't. Maybe that wouldn't have happened, or you'd have found another route, or whatever that looked like. But you had to ask that question in the first place, which you didn't have the confidence to do that. And then, like you say, and having we all need sometimes that helping hand on the way, whatever that looks like. And my understanding of black market and what you sort of expressed is actually you're providing a platform to give people that helping hand. That's the impression. I hope so. I hope that's oh, okay. how it comes across because that's <laughs> what I am trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's that. Um, so the first show I had um, the president of the drag society at Sussex Uni was my drag king. Mm. I also had a European pole dancing champion. Mm. So for me, it's about stopping this climate of fear and competition and actually what education does is it makes people better mm. and it makes things better and creates unique experiences that you never would have thought that you would see. Mm. And you're not going to get that if you've got the same circle of people doing the same stuff all the time. Mm. Um, and so for me, like broadening that opportunity, um, it's not only for audiences to see something artistic, but also I'm I'm an artistic and creative person, right? And I, and mm, I like yeah. to blend and I like to... You know, I've been fearful of new technology for ages, but I had animations in my show in September and December, and it was great because it accentuated the... You know, I was like, oh, we can use that to accentuate the lyrics in this song, and it's going to be really impactful for the audience. So this... Mm-hmm. This kind of new, you know, blend of like new and vintage, I think creates, if you look at all the great artists, David Bowie, mm-hmm. who, you know, my son Ziggy's named after Ziggy Stardust, um, Alexander McQueen, you know, they all had, Vivian Westwood, all these, they took old kind of ideas and added like a new twist to it and created something then completely new which has then been you know taken Mm. and cut up and repasted and all this kind of all this kind of thing Mm. um and so with black market it's it's having this collective of performers and people and you know i also have um spirit brands on there 
as well. You know, mm. people who hand make their own vodka, gin, all that kind of stuff. They've got this unique, just this unique twist um, on life, on mm. on art, on, you know, entertainment. And that, to me, creates something really exciting. And it also fits with my, I guess, not saying that they don't fit, but I mean, like, a collection of people who are like me Mm -hmm. in that way of thinking but are all different in their own way and unique in their own way um and i get to support them and hang out with them and meet them and create events with them and feel like i actually fit in a room when i used to feel like i just took too much space and i just felt like i wasn't fitting in the air that i was around Mm-hmm. So is, is that is that where like, is that where with the community that you are creating now? That's where you feel again back to like you said, black markets come out of I guess your journey and your trauma and stuff, and you're creating now because of that. Still that craving for connection, but creating a community of because we're all unique in our own way, aren't mm. we? So actually, embra- really embracing that and. I'm, I'm, you're creating a community where people are where you fit in and you feel at home and you feel like you're part of that family is that what that's what it is it is but I think it's also I'm not saying that the entertainers that I engage with see it on this much of a deep level <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the entertainers that I work with haven't had that person say to them you know you are worthy of being paid properly you know you don't have to work for a pittance you know you don't have to be treated like that you know you are and that also gives me a a buzz as well um um, but i'm also thinking about my own children and the kind of community that i want them to grow up in the kind of people that i want the world that you want them to grow in and yeah and you can't always and we've had this discussion about you can't people are always going to be people right I'm not talking about shutting them off from society and saying this is the only people that you're going to be around mm. I'm yeah. not that silly um, so they've got to have their but, but your kids have got to have their own path and they've got to find their own oh, journey and stuff, of course yeah. of course but I think really if they've got a home to come to that they know that that's it's safe mm. and they can be themselves and they're heard and they're seen and they're listened to, which was not my experience. Yeah. That I hope, and I'm sure I'll fuck it up in some way. <laughs> um, I hope that that gives them the freedom to be able to go and do what they want to do. Because I think this is the thing. If I, so I, a lot of the time, I think if I hadn't of where would I be today if I'd just done Black Market when I was 18? Do you think If that? I'd just done it mm. without any, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs type thing, without mm. any constraints, without any trauma, what what could I be doing? Um, which I think is probably the, the childlike part of me grieving mm. over that. If I hadn't have gone through all the stuff, mm. I wouldn't actually be where I am now. So, you know... Is that because I'm I'm a big believer in that, and I do think like there is that that element. Because I often think about, go, God, why didn't I just? 
at 16 start my own business why didn't I you know I could have gone on this entrepreneurial journey like and had 10 years experience in it before I even thought about starting it might but actually would it have been the right time for me would I have mm. been in the right headspace to be able to do that would I have enough experience to have done that and as you said I've fucked things up and I'll continue to do so and I'm sure I will but but they're all learning curves and that's all part of the journey and that's what gets us like like I say to where we are where we are today and I think that we we can I mean this is really because one of the questions I want to want to ask you is um, which I've been asking people recently if you could go back to a time in life and change one specific moment what would that be and why would that but if I ask you that question now is that that you'd go back to 18 and start black market or not I think I would go back to my very young teenage self and I would say stop listening to other people and listen to yourself because I do it less so now but I had such an inbuilt lack of trust in my own intuition that it just led me down roads that I probably extremely unnecessary for me to to go down so I think that's the one thing I would when I listen to myself when I follow my intuition good shit happens in fact amazing stuff happens and in fact I make things I I do make things happen and it's it's taken a long time to trust in my own decision making Mm. um and just as an example, like the, f- the first court case round that I went through, I handed all my, I mean, I had just given birth, to be fair, gave it all over to a solicitor and a barrister and felt so disempowered by all of that. Um, it left me, you know, I had to rebuild myself from that. The second time round, I did it all myself, um, mainly because my solicitor, who was a family friend, said, I'm closing my closing my practice and you need to go and do it on your own but she was like don't hurt you need to go and do it on your own and I was like what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did and I dealt with it so much better because I was self-empowered I mean she had to do that and again it's that that theme of I'm not saying that I've done this all by myself I've had people in my life who have constantly you know people educators you know my old drama teacher um other you know family friends my own friends I have my boyfriend is just so supportive and I also wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have his support Mm. so I'm not saying on any stretch of the imagination that I've I've done this on my own and my parents have been supportive as well Mm. um but it's taken that digging inside myself which is also black market like dig for victory Mm. make do and mend Oh, and it's like this full circle moment because I'm like making making and mending like relationships and things within myself and digging deep um, and wow. it's I think everyone deserves that opportunity to be able to do that because mm. I had people who did that for me um and so now i 
I catch myself. And it's good to check in with people, like, absolutely. It's good mm. to have a, a cast, you know, get people to look over things. I had something that I sent off um, yesterday that I got my dad to look at because he's just, he's good at those kind of things. And I really, oh, okay, so I might have a really exciting opportunity <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Um, and I wouldn't have gone for it if I hadn't have done Werewolf. And this is kind of like where it's coming full circle for me. Mm. Um, and I did a show recently based on uh, a very well-loved TV series, and um, I thought, fuck it, oh, let's see if I can get this out there. So I just rang the production company, and I was like, hey, I want to do this. Who can I send a proposal to? And they're like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> send it over. I was like, all right, cool. So I did, and uh, I've just sent off my business proposal. Wow. To them. Can, to can you tell us I what can't. Show? I actually can't. I'm really sorry. I can't. I'm NDA. Episode two. Episode two. <laughs> but um, that, yeah, it would, if I got that particular license and I did what I am intending to do, um, that would be life changing. But I uh. wouldn't have done it, you know, if I hadn't have done all that stuff when I was 18 mm. so I think it's all part of like like we just said it's all part of our journeys and all yeah. the things that happen happen for some reason whatever that looks like and they're all part they're all chapters in our life they're all part of that journey and if we can take them bits out of it that's what where we get to and where we are that's what sometimes shapes then what our future will look like and by the sounds of it this full circle coming round potentially could be shaping your future we'll see so. but that's <laughs> watch your space yeah, yeah but that's the beauty of it right so my you know all our journeys are different and um i think the thing is with black market it's so so many people have been influential and supportive of me on my journey and i i hope that entertainers feel that the people that i've got um if you if you can give on your journey, then why not? Mm. And I think society's only going to get better if people. I'm not saying completely sacrifice. And again, this whole thing of having a balance of not being so self-sacrificing, but being supportive of others, mm. it just keeps the world going round. And, and having like a closed-off, you know, insular society just isn't good for anyone. Yeah. And so, what I'm trying to approach potential clients with is it's a step you're you're supporting someone on a step on their journey but they're also celebrating yours mm. and and for me that's that's really wonderful Hundred and, and that look, for me i i, I love that because ultimately certainly what i think's come out of the last couple of years with covid that, that sense of community and we we for me personally i think we Working an amazing business community here, something I'm obviously, mm. as you know, I'm very passionate about, and I, and there is that feeling of people want to help and want to support people on their journey wherever they are, as I do with people and as people have done with me, and 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 that you're absolutely right. I think that is what makes the world go round, and that's what we need to embrace as much as possible. I think we need joy. Yeah, it's yeah, too absolutely. short. We've been, you know, uh, lots yeah. of people go through lots of. Um, 
we've had quite a few family losses over the last years and it and recently as well um and people who were just full of creativity and joy for life mm. and it's like it really does make you sit up and go wow okay what what am i doing and what am i going to leave behind and you know mm. i think the ultimate goal of being happy and having balance and you know full of life's ups and downs and being able to accept all that i read something recently that said that happiness isn't the absence of problems it's like knowing how to deal with it mm. and still finding joy in like every day and i think well who doesn't want to be surrounded by drag queens and glitter (laughs) and feathers flying everywhere and seeing seeing something amazing and being like wow i I remember you know i remember that piece of performance i remember that feeling that moment of you know calm or happiness or um just just feel i think feeling and having feeling and i i think i've had a lot of absence of feeling because i've just cut mm. myself off from it you know because life is can be really painful but it can be like fucking amazing so amazing we're coming towards the end so i'm going to finish mm. with a quick fire questions yeah. um let's jump into these before we finish up well Tell me a specific story of someone in your life who helped make you into the person you are today. What did they do? Um, well, the story, their story. Your, uh, a, a, story a story about, a story like, about that. Yeah, for that, that moment in time. Um, <laughs> so my drama teacher, Sue Barton-Jones, so she's known me since I was 11 and um, she actually was really supportive and just an amazing teacher like throughout all of my so I did drama GCC, drama A level um, and I remember I went to her when I was 17 and you know her office door was always open you know she was always there for the girls and all that kind of stuff and I just like broke down because we were getting ready to do our A levels and um I was just like, I can't go on stage. I can't. Like, I spent years on stage, but I was just like, I can't. She was like, okay, I'll find I'll find something. Don't worry about it. And she found this this unit, this directing unit, in the A-level. I could still achieve the full A-level. Yeah. And she was like, right, well, we're going to do that. I'll write to the exam board. Don't worry about it. We got it. You don't have to, to do that. Yeah. And that, you know, got me into the kind of producer journey. Yeah. Um so without um, that and she came to the premiere of American Werewolf the the documentary she came with her colleague Sarah who's also teaching at the time really supportive she got me my first teacher training job at my old school she was my mentor wow. so we spent a year you know she trained me um you know she just she's always I, I keep in touch with her um over the years and and go for afternoon tea at the garden center in Wellington. <laughs> but Love she it. you know she's been at my kids birthday parties amazing. you know like, that's the power isn't it like listen to that it's the, the power of having a, an amazing teacher and someone that can actually 
shape and change your life and have an impact on your life as much as she has such a back to the whole education being you've been in that environment for so many I'm sure, and I can pretty much guarantee how many kids may be sitting in that chair in a few years' time who would say that about you, I'm sure. So that's that's incredible. Next one, can you recommend a book? I always ask a book or a podcast, but also I think with you, or a film that has has had an impact or or influenced you. Um, Either or. Okay, so I... Oh, that's so difficult. Um, so the first film that really got me into like loving film was The Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? Um, so when I applied for uh, film school, I my first line on my statement was Munchkinland, 1996, <laughs> because I'd fallen off um, a fence panel in my garden and like scuffed up my whole arm I was screaming it was it was ridiculous but I was put in front of the Wizard of Oz and just completely like oh my god changed my life Um, and from that I went to watch uh, The Dark Crystal which was uh, production designed by Brian Froud who also did Labyrinth with David Bowie and you know the puppetry the skill the special effects like i was i was absolutely obsessed Hooked. yeah with that um jim henson obviously wow, so amazing. they but it was art, it was the power of storytelling but through those kind of traditional techniques and the mm. costume and the music and um they really like launched that that passion for like film production mm. design set scenery um and then I, when I was about 18, uh, 16, 17, 18, that was the Tarantino years. That was Pulp oh, Fiction, man. Reservoir Dogs. Still still know. my top five film, Pulp yeah. Fiction. Yeah, oh, just, film. just incredible. His way, again, it's like that art of storytelling, but, oh. you know, with... And, and it's such a brilliant way of storytelling because it doesn't have to be a start and end and a, 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 a start, middle and finish. Exactly. It was, it, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, right. One rule for living a fulfilled life. <laughs> Listen to yourself. Love it. Amazing. What a wow. Wow. What an amazing, amazing episode conversation. I can't thank you enough for just listening, being so raw, open and honest and sharing just a fascinating incredible inspiring story and journey with us honestly and and i can only wish you every success with black market because it is it's an amazing concept and it actually what a great thing to be able to bring to the world and and communities and and build that amazing community because it is it's it's incredible what you're doing and i'm uh i wish you every success with it Thank you. Thank this you for having me. Sorry amazing. for waffling. <laughs> it's been amazing. Listen, that, as they say, is a wrap. <laughs> this is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions.